Hello and welcome to the Viva Albertos podcast. It is August 21st, 2014, and this is episode one. Better late than never, my name is Ben Humphrey. I'm the site manager from VivaAlbertos.com, a St. Louis Cardinals baseball community. Uh, I do some writing about the Cardinals there. We hope you come join us and do some commenting about the Cardinals on some of our posts. And I'm joined here today to talk about Cardinals baseball on this off night. Uh, by editor Aaron Finkel. Aaron, how are things going? Very well, Ben. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on episode one. Uh, uh, you have done a lot of work setting up this podcast, and I just like to thank you here and uh, let everyone know uh, how much work you've put in. We've done a few test runs. We posted a mini episode uh, online, and we got some great feedback from folks. And I'd like to encourage people uh, to continue to give us feedback. Uh, this is a work in progress. And we want to make it as good as we can uh, for the folks who take the time to listen to us uh, talk about Cardinals baseball. And before we get to that, I wanted to touch base uh, with you really quickly. You and I are both members of the Viva, one of the Viva Alberto's Cardinals Care Charity 6K running teams. And for the last few years, the site uh, community members have put together teams that raise funds for the Cardinals Care Charity. Uh, the last two years, uh, we have been the team that has raised the most money for the charity. Uh, and how are things going this year, Aaron? Yep, the fundraising is going really well this year. Um, we've raised uh, $7,500 uh, through the web, through Viva Alberta. So we have two teams, which is uh, has accounted for one fifth of all the money that the charities raised this year. It's a great charity. They do things like asthma screenings and tutoring sports equipment, um, just a lot of things in the St. Louis area. And it's been a real pleasure working on it these three years. I, I constantly amazed by uh, how generous people are. If, if you'd like to check out uh, what we're doing, it's cardinalscare.org. The two teams are Viva El Gallo and uh, VEB2, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, speaking of Viva El Gallo, the, the way we raised uh, a lot of the money this year was through a T-shirt uh, celebrating Carlos Martinez and his El Gallo persona, um, which has been a lot of fun. What do you think about uh, El Gallo, Ben? Well, you know, uh, he has long been one of my favorite prospects. And living in Iowa, um, you know, I have connections to Davenport, the Quad City the Quad Cities River Bandits used to be the Cardinals' low-A affiliate. Um, and so I've seen a lot of these youngsters come through, uh, including Oscar Taveras, Trevor Rosenthal. Uh, I, I did not get to see Shelby Miller in low-A because they held him back to pitch in the playoffs uh, when Azruvatar and I went there. Um, who else did we see? Uh, Trevor Rosenthal, I think maybe I already said, but Carlos Martinez was just one of those experiences where your eyes just kind of pop out of your head. And he, at the time he was a smaller, you know, young kid and he's just throwing like an easy mid to upper nineties fastball. And on top of that, he's mixing in a, a good breaking ball and a good changeup. And when you see that a kid like that, with that type of repertoire at such a young age, you know, it sticks with you. And so, you know, I've paid attention to Martinez as he has climbed uh, through the Cardinals organization. And I think it's important to realize that when he signed, he was a shortstop and he's an athletic guy. And so he hasn't been pitching for that long. And the Cardinals throughout his uh, ascension through the organization have seemingly paid pretty close attention to his workload and held down how much he is pitching. 
Uh, last year, uh, when he was sent to AAA, it really felt like that was the first time they kind of let the leash off and let him get to the point where he was hovering around right around 80, 90 pitches in most of his outings, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. So coming into this year, even during the spring training competition, Derek Gould reported that John Mosellock indicated that the Cardinals would be imposing an innings cap on Martinez. And a part of that, we were led to believe, was Joe Kelly starting the year in the rotation over Martinez, which feels like an eternity ago <laughs> with all the pitching injuries they've had, that the big the big issue in spring training was whether or not Joe Kelly or Carlos Martinez would be in the starting rotation. And Martinez was, was installed in the bullpen um, and was not very effective. Uh, then when the injuries hit, they transitioned him and started stretching him out as a starter at the big league level which Mosellock indicated they did not want Mosellock and Matheny indicated that they did not want to do in the spring training. And that was stretch him out at the major league level, but injuries in a thin, uh, amount of options for big league starters. Remember Marco Gonzalez was in the rotation even at that time, which was a bit ahead of schedule if you ask me. Um, and so they started stretching Martinez out at the major league level. And then, after the All-Star break, they sent Miller to the bullpen to rest him, kept Martinez in the rotation, uh, and then swapped them again and ultimately demoted Martinez, and he was starting down in AAA. And I thought they were probably going to leave him down in AAA just to amass innings uh, until the end of August. But they, they called him up uh, here uh, within the – well, about a week ago. And since he's come up, Aaron, he looks like a different pitcher. Yeah, I, I think we're seeing something very different. Not just different from what he was as a starter uh, for this handful of games, um, but uh, even as a reliever earlier in the season. Um, I think what we're seeing is a little bit more kind of what he was doing in spring training. Um, more change-ups, uh, more sliders. The four-seam uh, is less, you know, the only key. And, and I think it's I think it's a better look for him, frankly. Uh, I know his results weren't great last night, but uh, he wasn't pitching poorly. I think he was pitching well. Um, he made uh, uh, whoever, uh, yeah, Frazier, Todd Frazier, he, he faced in the eighth and struck him out on three pitches. That was his only batter of the eighth inning. Um, and then in the ninth, you know, he ran into some trouble, mostly on balls that weren't hit that hard and some poor defense behind him. Uh, when his changeup is moving the way it does, it's, it's, you know, it's an 87 mile an hour pitch that tails, you know, almost as much as the slider moves, uh, in the other direction, uh, it's, it gets you excited. Um, there's something, uh, spectacular about what he's doing. And I, it, the question is, can he harness that, uh, with good command and good, uh, choice of pitches? If he can, he's going to be, I think he's going to be a star, but what's the, how do we, how do we get from here to there? And I think that it's a good step that we're seeing more of these change up. And that was something that was really interesting to me when he was working in relief is, and this is something that uh, Bernie and Gould have talked about on the best podcast in baseball, uh, Carlos Martinez's pl platoon splits and lefties uh, were having a lot of success against him. And he, and, and I felt this was because they weren't throwing, they, they weren't calling for his change up enough. And, you know, in April, May and June, uh, he was throwing his changeup less than 10% of the time. Uh, 
when he joined the rotation, they started calling for it more. And since he has come back and th- working in relief uh, since his stay in AAA, he's been throwing it even more than that. And it's not a large sample at all. Uh, but over 28% of the time, almost 29% of the time so far this month, he's deploying that changeup. In July, it was 13%. And in June, it was 8%. In May, it was 75 And in April, it was 4%. And I think using that change is something that's going to help him a lot. And changeup is a pitch you got to have feel for. And if you aren't throwing it, you know, it's kind of like a chicken and an egg. You know, it's the change up and throwing it, right? Like to get that feel, to get comfortable with that pitch, you got you to use it. And so if you aren't calling it, you aren't going to feel good about it. And so I think it's heartening to see that he is being a bit more diverse in the pitches he's throwing. He's not as reliant on that four-seam fastball, which is an electric pitch. But, you know, 97-98, if you're throwing that, you know, 50-60% of the time, uh, you know, major league hitters are going to catch up with that. And I think that the change-up slider and that two-seamer, you know, it's a real starter's repertoire, and I think it's something that if he can develop all of those pitches, and I think he's on his way to doing it, um, he's going to be a very tough customer on the mound. That's right. I, I don't, I don't know uh, what you know what's going on with with the two seamer versus the four seamer. He's throwing the two seamer uh, less uh, in these these last uh, couple of games uh, than he was prior. And maybe it's just fastballs in general that are down. But uh, it's interesting to see how the two seamer and the changeup will uh, work work together because they move in, in some similar ways. His his sinker uh, runs quite a bit. Uh, and like I said, yeah, I think last night he looked good despite his results. But you know what? Uh, Trevor Rosenthal came into pitch anyway. Uh, it was a seven to nothing game. Uh, Martinez ran into some trouble. Um, you know, there were some, some, like I said, some, I think three ground, three grounders, uh, led to three runners on base, whether it was through, uh, you know, fortunate placement in the hole or some, some shoddy defense by Colton Wong. Uh, you know, and there was a, there was a soft liner, uh, the, the pitch, uh, that Devin Masaraco, uh, ended Martinez's night on, uh, was an O2 slider that, uh, didn't get down in the dirt. It probably should have, um, but he just kind of golfed it and laced it down the line. Nothing major. I thought Martinez still looked good. He'd only thrown 21 pitches, and this is a guy who was stretched out to start uh, down in the minors, or at least uh, turning that direction. And yet, uh, there's Trevor Rosenthal coming in. Trevor Rosenthal, who we've recently, uh, you know, discussed on on Viva Albertos. Uh, he's having some struggles lately, and I think a lot of them can be tied to overuse. Uh, our uh, one of our commenters, uh, Hazel, brought up that. On no day's rest, uh, the OPS against for uh, Trevor Rosenthal is uh, 713. Uh, with one day of rest, it's 649. With two days rest, it's 587. With three days rest, it's 508. He gets better and better the more rest he has. And yet here's Trevor Rosenthal uh, in a 7-3 to three game uh, coming in the ninth inning. Well, Mike Matheny, uh, like many managers, I don't mean to single Matheny out, but um, managers and in, in Matheny is one of them. Uh, they tend to give relief pitchers roles. And, and the notion is that relievers pitch better when they know what their job is and they know what they're going to be called upon to do and when they're going to be called upon to do it. And 
I was just reading Ben Lindbergh at Grantland wrote uh, a very good piece on the Sabre Seminar uh, that just wrapped up. And Jeff Lunau, now the Houston Astros general manager, uh, came and spoke. And he, you'll recall, uh, used to be in the Cardinals front office. Uh, and he was telling a story about how uh, he and Lickman, who's one of the co-authors of the book, uh, Playing the Percentages in Baseball, were had a meeting with in which they attempted to explain uh, leverage, situational leverage, to Tony LaRussa. <laughs> and uh, LaRussa basically said, pitchers need roles. They need to know you know, when they're going to pitch, they don't know what leverage is. It won't using pitchers based on re leverage won't work. You know, relievers know that saves are where the money is. He's not going to do that. And then the fascinating kicker to that is when Lunau started w looking at shifting, he didn't even bother talking about it with Tony LaRusso because he didn't think that he would be open to it. So I found that kind of interesting. Um, but if you take that same notion, uh, you know, of relief pitchers and ball players in general needing a role and needing to know what that role is, you know, Matheny certainly is one of those guys. And this is about the time of year, you, maybe a little bit sooner, uh, where you see Matheny settle in to okay, this is my seventh inning setup guy. This is my eighth inning setup guy. This is my closer. Now, he usually knows who his closer is the whole year, and he leans on them heavily. That's what he's doing with Rosenthal. But if you if you look at the history of these guys, you know, uh, there's Mubagma, Mubagmat, excuse me, the, the kaiju, the multi-headed kaiju of uh, Edward Mujica in the seventh, uh, Mitchell Boggs in the eighth and Jason Mott in the ninth, and that was 2012. Well, the Jaeger that took down that kaiju, if I can drop a Pacific Rim reference, uh, was kind of Mike <laughs> Matheny. You know, Jason Mott's UCL snapped in spring training. Uh, Mitchell Boggs experienced ba uh, ba some back problems and mechanical problems, and he was out of the organization by, uh, you know, the time late summer rolled around. And uh, Mujica ascended to the closer role, but he had a dead arm uh, by the time late summer rolled around, and he wasn't able to pitch. And so then that's when you had Kevin Segrist emerge and Carlos Martinez and Trevor Rosenthal. And they kind of, you know, took over that three-headed monster, that 789 monster that Matheny loves. And he, Rosenthal, or excuse me, Segrist was kind of using that role anyway, but he leaned on him hard and he leaned on him, you know, in the postseason post as well. Um, and now you're seeing... You know, Segrist, who has used a lot, he's having some arm troubles. And now you're seeing Rosenthal, who I feel like, you know, the last two years has been leaned on uh, very, very hard by the manager. Um, you know, and we, we were, we've been tracking the reliever usage throughout the year. Um, and, and I remember, you know, towards the end of April, I think Carlos Martinez was on pace to throw over 120 innings in the bullpen <laughs> and Rosenthal was on pace to throw a hundred. 
And so, you know, Mike Matheny didn't ease Trevor Rosenthal or Carlos Martinez into the season as relievers. Um, you know, there were some bullpen issues early in the year and, and he leaned on those guys hard and you're seeing Rosenthal isn't quite the flamethrower he used to be. He doesn't quite have the same control he used to have. And I wrote a post about that. He's just walking a lot more batters and he strikes out enough guys and his stuff is such that he doesn't give up a lot of home runs. And this year he's given up even less than he normally does. Um, and that's helping him to remain an effective pitcher despite the walks. But if you look at when he gets into trouble and it's often, uh, it's because of the walk and it kind of makes you wonder, you know, do we need to call on him in every single save situation or can we rely on someone else? And, you know, last night answered that question. If it's a safe situation, Mike Matheny is going to use Trevor Rosenthal. And Derek Gould wrote a very good piece on the high usage of Trevor Rosenthal. And Mike Matheny just said, you know, closers are closers. <laughs> Sometimes they have some trouble while they're trying to close, but they they get the save and that's what they do and that's their job. And And I thought that was very emblematic of the way he has deployed his closer. If it's a safe situation, he's going to the closer. And so, you know, when there was trouble last night, it was Trevor Rosenthal who he called on. And that doesn't surprise me one bit. In fact, I think it was, you know, pretty expected. He'll even get Rosenthal up and loose if there's even an inkling that a safe situation might rear its head. <laughs> You know, when one is brewing, uh, Trevor Rosenthal is getting loose in the bullpen. And, uh, you know, that's the way that Mike Matheny is going to use him. And with the way you're seeing kind of not quite the same velocity and not quite the same control, you know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit worried about Trevor Rosenthal's health. And I, I have a, a sneaking suspicion that Scott Boris, Trevor Rosenthal's agent, is uh, more than a little miffed at the manager about how often he calls on Trevor Rosenthal to go out there and pitch. That's right. It, it was it was surprising to me after Rosenthal's you know recent struggles to see him up you know not just coming into the game but even up throwing. Uh, I think it was a seven to seven to one, maybe seven to two, is before Mazzaracco's double. Uh, it's a seven to two baseball game. I mean, there's other options and Carlos Martinez, like I said, was pitching well. It was, it was, uh, so what, I, I think I saw that you posted, you had a tweet about that Trevor Rosenthal uh, has 130 Three. high leverage. Yeah, I think uh, that was, uh, Jeff Sullivan, uh, from Fangraphs, formerly of, uh, Lookout Landing. Uh, but right. he had, uh, he had tweeted that Trevor Rosenthal this season has 100 and 33 high leverage plate appearances. So this is, right. uh, you know, this is against him, right? Trevor Rosenthal does, has not, thank goodness, <laughs> uh, Trevor Rosenthal has not himself dug into the batter's box 133 times. Uh, the reliever with the second most uh, high leverage plate appearances against him, who Sullivan did not name, has 103. Uh, That's a remarkable number. And, um, yeah, very remarkable. Um, and I, 
you know, I had, I had someone, you know, and I had used the Mathena gene hashtag, uh, when retweeting it, which, uh, you know, that can, <laughs> that can, uh, get the rankles up of some people. I think some people feel that I am too hard on Mike Matheny. Um, and, uh, I had a reply on Twitter and it was, you know, Trevor Rosenthal pitches himself into high leverage plate appearances. Um, and, you know, I, 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 it has caused me, I think I'm going to write a piece that kind of explains what high leverage means <laughs> because, you know, if you're being used in, uh, say uh, exclusively save situations or tie ball games, right. Um, you know, you're going to be, you, you're going to have a lot of high leverage use, you know, that's the point, right? We're going to use our best pitcher, uh, in these close and late situations, which are the highest leverage situations. And, and the reason I use the Mathena gene hashtag is the way that Mike Matheny, you know, leans very heavily on his closers, you know, Trevor Rosenthal is on pace to set the Cardinals record for saves this year in a season, right? And the reason he is is because he has a manager who believes that closers are closers. So when there's a save situation, the closer pitches. And it's, you know, I don't want to say simple because it makes it sound like I'm saying, you know, something that's like condescending or insulting, but it's a very, it's a very cut and dry philosophy, and if you've watched Cardinals baseball over the last three years, you know it's true. Um, and, you know, if, if you actually look at this season, Trevor Rosenthal's game entering leverage index is 1.8. Last year it was 1.4. And the reason is he's the closer this year. And he's coming into yeah. a lot of late and close games. That's his job. That's why he has all those plate appearances. Now, the plate appearances one is, you know, yeah. He walks a lot of guys, so that's why he leads by plate appearances. He's walking a ton of guys. Um, but, you know, that's the way Matheny uses him, and that's the way Matheny is going to keep using him until Trevor Rosenthal's body does not allow Mike Matheny to use him in that way. <laughs> well, I, I hope we don't get there too soon. Uh, if closers are closers, uh, unless Daniel Descalzo is playing the position shortstops, our shortstops, uh, Johnny Peralta, has been fantastic this year. Uh, let's talk about that. That's, I think that you know, has an argument for being the thing that has kept the Cardinals in the race this year uh, is that Johnny Peralta has been absolutely wonderful. He's been a, he's been a good offensive player. He's hit for power. He uh, he's his defense has graded out uh, as well as. It has in the past, which is something that a lot of people, you know, I think looked askance at. How does Johnny Peralta grade out so well in, in UZR at shortstop? This is a guy who was uh, moved off of shortstop when he was younger, and now he's older and a little bigger, and he's been grading out positively defensively at shortstop. Not just positively, but very positively for, for four years running. Uh, what uh, What do you think about it? You know, I, there's, you know, the phrase you get 
you get wiser with age. <laughs> um, you know, it just kind of feels like when you watch Johnny Peralta, particularly in person, you know, it's it's harder to do during the television broadcast. You see a guy who just seems to get good, a good, It's not, I don't want to say it's a quick first step, but he seems to get a good first step, and he seems to be very well positioned. And if, if you followed the Cardinals at all, you know that Jose Akendo is somewhat of a savant when it comes to defensive positioning. And what people were talking about is that Johnny Peralta has become much better at positioning himself based on the batter and the pitcher and what's going to be thrown. Um, and there was a real interesting interview on Fox Sports Midwest with Jim Edmonds and Ozzie Smith, and they were talking about basically they just look at the catcher's signals and they would move their <laughs> – they would move based on what the call was. And I was kind of thinking to myself, Jim Edmonds can read the catcher's signals from center field. <laughs> um, but, you know, given – It explains his batting eye. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> it explains so much about Jim Edmonds that he has good enough yeah. eyesight uh, that he can do that. Um, but you're seeing Peralta. He does a good job with positioning. And, and to see him in person, quite frankly, it makes me wonder who these scouts are that people, you know, like the, the John Hemans, I believe. And there were a few other people who were really trashing Peralta as a shortstop. And if he played like this last year, and I did not watch many Tigers games. I certainly did not watch any of them in person. But I don't know how you could reach that conclusion about Johnny Peralta if you watched him play a series. Okay. I went to every single one of the Rocky series and I walked away feeling pretty good about his defense. He's not as good as Pete Cosman. I'm not saying that he is, although the numbers indicate that he probably is this year. I, I don't know if that's true. You know, there, there's an error bar on single season defensive metrics that I always keep in the back of my head. So I take him with a large grain of salt. Um, but watching him in the field, you know, I feel I feel pretty good about him out there this year, next year. You know, I don't know how he's going to age as he gets deeper into his 30s, right? But right now I feel real good about him, and he has been a pivotal piece of the up-the-middle defense for the Cardinals and just a huge part of this team's run prevention, which has been one of the hallmarks of their success this year. But he's also been kind of one of the few – threats to hit for power with the bat and you know he's just kind of you know if we can quote the car song he's just what the cardinals needed <laughs> you know it, it, it was it's remarkable to think it could have been Stephen drew who's yes. been negative war this year it, it's almost like a like the you know in a smaller scale the matt holiday versus jason bay decision happening all over and once again uh it looks like uh, john jose like chose well and, and what I would say is, you know, the Bay versus Holiday and the Drew versus Peralta, f from what we know, it sure doesn't seem like it was much of a much of a choice to the Cardinals. It seems like that was, you know, sort of the commentariat's choice. And we're a part of that commentariat. And I readily admit, you know, when you're looking at who are the Cardinals going to sign to upgrade at shortstop, the choice is basically where Stephen Drew um, and with the reports that they they looked at Drew entering last year, but because they could not guarantee him playing time due to Raphael for call, he signed with Boston. And so, you know, there was some smoke there. And, and so I think maybe it was made out to be 
more of a choice for the Cardinals than the Cardinals thought it was because Mosellock sure did strike fast and decisively they on Peralta. Yeah, they went out and got him too. And it makes me wonder what the Cardinals' defensive metrics and scouting on Peralta is. Um, but he's been fantastic. And, you know, he's one of the – He's one of the few guys who I really feel like he can turn on that inside pitch and just yank it, you know, down the line for a double or out of the park. Uh, and he just, he really does that with authority and hits for power well. You know, I, it, the Red Baron wrote a post on Wednesday talking about his home run total and how impressive that is. Uh, 17, but he also has 33 doubles. And, you know, going back to the year 2000, the only Cardinal shortstop with more than 33 doubles in a whole season is Edgar Renteria, and he did it three times in 02, 03, and 04. But if Peralta hits five more doubles this year, he will have the second most doubles in the last 14, 15 years for a Cardinals shortstop. Actually, it probably goes back a lot further than that. I didn't bring Ozzie and Royce Clayton into the equation, but uh, you know, I wanted the Renteria comparison. But if he hits five more, if he hits five more doubles this season, he will have the second most doubles by a Cardinal shortstop since the year two thousand, and the most home runs by a Cardinal shortstop in the same year. If if he he's sitting right now at four point six F four, and and that has a defensive component that you know we we have a great you know we take with a grain of salt, but he's been he's been good defensively for four years. Like we said, if he can manage, uh, another half, half or if he can clear, if he can get to clear 5.1, uh, it will be the ninth, uh, most, uh, F war in a season by a shortstop, uh, since the dead ball era. Edgar Renteria, 2003, uh, would be above him. Three Ozzie Smith, uh, uh, seasons and, you know, a handful of others scattered. It's, it's, he's been a historically good uh, shortstop so far in 2014 for the Cardinals and in, in, in their history, it's been remarkable. And I think, uh, you know, for me watching his defense, I expected a guy who was well-placed, who made, made all the, all the right, you know, all the easy plays didn't mess up his throws and, and we're getting that. But the thing that surprises me is uh, how he looks. And, and I think it's, you know, the word I want to put on him is, is graceful. He's a graceful shortstop. He doesn't have, you know, he's not the fastest guy, uh, but he's really graceful out there. It's been a, it's been a pleasure this year watching him. Um, and with that offense uh, and what the team needs right now, it's it's hard to imagine where they'd be without him. No, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, like, like Lance Lynn and Johnny Peralta, where would the Cardinals right. be without them in the year 2014? And if, if he, I'd have told you in February – that Johnny Peralta and Lance Lynn would be two of the most important players on the Cardinals team because of the high level at which they played. You know, I think a lot of Cardinals fans would have told me I was nuts, <laughs> but yet here we are. And, you know, I think there's a pretty good argument. I mean, Matt Carpenter is certainly important. Uh, holiday hasn't been holiday, but he's had a good year. Um, you know, but I, I'd say Wainwright, Lynn, and Peralta have been the three most important Cardinals this year. Lynn and Wainwright, because they've been the workhorses while the starting rotation was racked by injury. And Peralta, because of his defense 
uh, up the middle and the power he's hit for. I mean, he in an offense that has underperformed until uh, recent times, as as Craig Edwards wrote about today on the site. And it has been really interesting to watch. And it it seems like eternity ago uh, when it was VEB Day weekend and Peralta had a very low batting average and he was That's super right. mad. He was super mad that he had this great hit uh, and it turned into an error instead of a hit because <laughs> uh, the Pirates yep. threw it down the first baseline. That's he, right. <laughs> and, he, and he got to go to second. And he was angry because he he put a great swing on the ball and hit the ball hard. Uh, I think it was Pedro Alvarez, wasn't it? Knocked it down and then threw it away. And so he robbed him of a hit twice. Right. <laughs> he knocked the ball down and then he threw it away. You know, if he makes a clean throw to first, Peralta probably beats it out and gets a hit. Uh, and if he doesn't knock the ball down, Peralta gets a hit. So, you know, I just, he you could tell he was really pressing early in the year. Uh, at the plate because of the low batting average. And now he looks, I mean, he just looks comfortable in all phases of the game and it's good to see him settle in. And he's a very, very valuable player for this team. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a mature player who has uh, learned a lot and is physically able to uh, apply what he's learned. And until that stops, I mean, yeah, he's, what would he get on the free agent market right after this year? I wonder. It's an interesting 33 putting up a year like he just did. Uh, it's uh, the Cardinals did well. Um, I I agree, and you know the it's amazing how all of the biogenesis and performance enhancing drug chatter has just evaporated. It's gone. Yeah, and you know it, it, it's just been real interesting to see how that has happened, and I'm glad that it has because. You know, I just I get bored with that real quickly. I'd rather just enjoy watching Johnny Peralta play baseball than have to read tweets and then log into VEB and see comments about performance enhancing drugs. So I'm glad that his <laughs> I'm glad that his performance has shut up some of that chatter. Um, it, it's interesting how much it's just yeah, it's nobody's talking about. It. I guess yeah, it's because it's, it's so widespread at this point. Yeah, Nelson yeah. Cruz. I guess there is a little bit when another pitcher. Uh, a pitcher uh, had something to say about Cruz. Yeah. Remember, but you know, the Cardinal way Peralta seems to be in line with the Cardinal way now. Doesn't he Aaron? (laughs) Good performance on the field. uh, uh, Heals a lot. I think the Cardinal way is winning. I think we can all agree on that. It's no moral code, despite what some of the illusions Mike Matheny has made in the past. Let's transition to another aspect of the Cardinal way, and that's diet. Uh, ESPN.com's Anna McDonald, who uh, is a reporter that has done some very interesting work this year and some very interesting Cardinals-specific work this year. Uh, She had a good article on Shelby Miller. She also had a good article on defensive metrics and kind of how they are finding their way into the clubhouse and how managers and coaching staffs and players use them. Uh, But this week she had a – very interesting article on the Cardinals team chef, Simon Lesky. And uh, I think the Cardinals deserve a lot of credit for this. Uh, the article indicates that John Mosellock is a workout guy and a diet guy and believes in that type of thing. And when manager Mike Matheny uh, was brought on, 
he spearheaded the effort to hire a team chef. And uh, McDonald writes that the team was, you know, getting a lot of stuff catered in before that point in time. And it was a lot of pastas and a lot of creamy sauces. And uh, they ate a lot of donuts. So apparently Torty Craig may have been more truth than fiction. <laughs> um, and and one of one of the primary uh, donut culprits, however, was Randy Choate. And even on day games, though, Choate has refused to eat healthy. He still only eats a don- he eats donuts for day games. Um, he says you need to you need to eat one to throw one. He says so you know get a zero on the board. I guess you need to eat a donut. Right. Um, but I found it really interesting. The Cardinals they've brought in uh, the chef. Uh, and Lusky has worked individually with the players. Uh, he visits them in their homes. He ships them food on the road. Uh, he has, even when Matt Adams was living with his parents, he met with Matt Adams and his parents. Matt Adams' dad has even lost 30 pounds on the Lusky diet. Um, and I thought this was really fascinating. And the article reminded me of uh, the Dallas Mavericks after Mark Cuban took over. Uh, he did a lot of things like this. They had Sean Bradley on the team at the time, and Sean and Cuban was in the uh, the clubhouse or the locker room. I don't know what the NBAers call it, uh, but he saw Bradley sitting on a chair that was probably made for someone your or my size, Aaron, which is far far shorter than Sean Bradley. <laughs> and and he said, you know, I'm paying this guy millions of dollars to you know, engage in a physical activity that is a competition. Why am I having him sit in a six foot in a chair that's designed for a six foot guy when he's over seven feet tall? And he had he had ergonomic chairs designed for people who were Brad designed for Bradley because of his height uh, to help with his joint health. And something else that Cuban did is he brought he hired a team chef. And they really regimented the Mavs really regimented what the players were eating. And and that would have been, I think, back uh, in the early 2000s, maybe even the late 90s. And I, at the time, I was in high school and I was, or college, and you know, kind of learning about this type of thing. And it made complete sense to me. I was actually kind of surprised that every NBA team did not already have a chef and was not already, you know, kind of regimenting what their players were eating, so that they would be getting the right type of energy to be competitive and have, you know, have that that energy while they were playing. Um, and so I'm equally as surprised to find out that uh, the Cardinals are on the forefront of this, apparently, in Major League Baseball, and they hired a chef in the year 2012. <laughs> um, it, it's just surprising to me. I, I assumed that Major League teams would have been doing this for years by now. Yeah. It's it's mind-boggling. I, I, I think that in basketball and football, you know, it probably was a little bit of an easier sell to the players. These guys are generally, you know, gym rats and workout freaks. And certainly there are some of them in baseball. I don't think uh, Matt Holliday is too cavalier with his body. Um, But uh, it seems like baseball culture uh, probably would the players themselves would have resisted this. I mean, you, you know, the stories from what the dugouts were like in the eighties, uh, as far as, uh, <laughs> nutrients and pharmaceuticals, uh, are, are horrifying. And so it's, 
it's uh, there's this deeply embedded culture in baseball, and I think that maybe is why it is taking a little bit, you know, uh, why it's the, such a late date. Um, I, I did a little Google searching; I just couldn't believe it, like you. And I found a number of articles about other teams doing more uh, with, you know, diet during the season, doing things like, um, you know, catering with nutrition very specifically in mind. But I think what, what's new about the Cardinals is that they're, it's this, you know, they, ha- they had the chef, they had him follow them to their homes. Um, and I think he, he was also selling it to them. I, th- there was the touching, a touching part of the article, uh, which was very good. Uh, it was that um, he was trying to sell to Lance Lynn and uh, they were you know, driving the car and he said, well, look, Lance, you want to be pitching, you're going to be pitching in 10 years, right? You know, you need this for that. And then he said, and you're going to need it after that too. This is your life here. And, and that was the moment uh, that where it clicked for Lynn. And, and I think he, he's lost 25 and then 30 pounds or something like that over the two years. Um, and I actually, I tweeted at uh, Anna McDonald and asked her about this, you know, are other teams doing this? And uh, she said, very few, if any. Chef Simon uh, said that when new guys come to the cards, they say they wish every team did this. So it's it's been sold to the players. And I think that's been important because uh, in the off season, if the players aren't buying into it, it's, it's going to go away. Um, like, like my running skills erode in the winter <laughs> and uh, the Astros strength coach told, told her uh, that unhealthy foods are a huge issue. Um, well, and, and how long, how long do you think it will be until the Cardinals are doing this throughout the minor leagues? Not long at all. It's going to be a culture. It's going to be this big, cultural shift it's going to go throughout the whole cardinals organization and i think there's going to be some positive results from it and it's going to spread throughout baseball it's just going to be slower than the other other leagues because i think selling it to the players is harder um and there was yeah there was some article one of the articles about one of the other organizations is they were trying to cater they're just trying to cater during the season it wasn't what the cardinals are doing and uh this you know it was written i think either by or, or with the help of, of the chef. And he, he tried to get them to eat like quinoa and, and cocoa vin and the players were like, you know, what is this junk? So, you know, it's definitely, it's going to be a cultural shift. It's not going to be overnight, but yeah, the Cardinals are going to do it throughout and it's going to go well. And then slowly it's going to be, you know, things are going to change, which is great. It's good for them now. And, and, you know, throughout their lives, like, uh, like chef Simon said. And I, one of the interesting things, uh, about the article, uh, was McDonald writes that Wainwright struggles to keep weight on during the season, um, which pitching in the St. Louis heat, you know, I can certainly understand how that would be. It makes me wonder how Yachty struggles to keep weight on during the season. Uh, but Lusky said that they have a little routine, and he makes Wainwright a smoothie. Now, I, I was I was kind of disappointed because they didn't really divulge, you know, what was what was in this smoothie. Uh, but Lusky goes at the end of the third inning, and he makes the smoothie, and he puts it where the bats are underneath the dugout, and and uh, Wainwright takes it down. So presumably, Wainwright is drinking a smoothie, I guess, in the fourth inning. Um, and I found it really interesting in the first inning, Wainwright's ERA this year, is <laughs> 1. 1.44 in the second inning, it's 2.16 in the third inning, it's 3.60. Okay. Uh-huh. In the fourth, it's 1.80. And then in the fifth, it's 3.75. Uh, and it goes down 
after that to 2.95 in the 6th, 0.90 in the 7th, 1.04 in the 8th. And then it, he has a 9 ERA in the ninth, but that's only two innings. Um, so I, I thought it was kind of interesting uh, that in the third, that Wainwright's ERA goes up in, from the first to the second to the third inning. He drinks his smoothie, presumably uh, in the fourth inning, and or perhaps in the bottom of the third, uh, if, if the Cardinals are the home team. But then still in the fifth inning, uh, he's still giving up a fair amount of runs. So uh, there isn't much there to support the notion that Wainwright's smoothie is giving him energy and causing him to allow fewer runs, at least by ERA. And I didn't have time to calculate FIP, and Fangraphs does not have uh, by inning splits. Uh, but I found that really interesting, and I really would love to know what Adam Wainwright's uh, smoothie recipe is, uh, or what Lusky's smoothie recipe is for Adam Wainwright in the middle of the game. Maybe I could use it after, uh, you know, the first leg of the 6K. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could drink down a smoothie and then I would have energy to, to finish it uh, when we're doing the Cardinals Care 6K. Uh, but I thought that was kind of interesting. It made me wonder, you know, what if, if Wainwright's diet was reflected in his splits, and obviously there are not enough uh innings here to do that but it was just kind of funny and and something to look up we can look at we can look for the fourth inning smoothie bump you know it'll <laughs> well it, it by the end of his contract we will have enough data to, <laughs> to do a more in-depth uh examination of the adam wainwright performance uh smoothie performance bump and i, I would read and, that article uh, uh, well i will probably write it <laughs> if I, you know, if I'm still fortunate enough to be writing for Viva Alberto's, uh, I will uh, probably look into that uh, on down the line. But again, the name of the article is Cardinal Chef Helps Team Eat Healthy. It's on ESPN.com by Anna McDonald. Uh, I tweeted it out earlier this week. I really recommend you check it out. It's a great article. Uh, and follow uh, Anna McDonald uh, on Twitter. Um, she's writing a lot of good stuff, um, about baseball. Uh, I've done, and, and a lot of it is Cardinals related and, um, it's a different perspective and she's covering things that, uh, frankly, aren't getting written about a lot, you know, things like player development and how teams are using metrics and now diet, I think that she has uh, is carving herself out a nice niche uh, in the field. And her handle on Twitter is at Anna, A-N-N-A underscore McDonald. And I encourage you to follow her, read her stuff. It's good stuff. Um, very interesting. And also for those who uh, aren't on Twitter, uh, you can find Anna McDonald's work at the Sweet Spot blog on ESPN that David Schoenfield writes. Um, there's a lot of good stuff there. Uh, and yeah, she's 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 doing a lot of St. Louis writing right now, too. I think the Rams. Uh, so if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, Ben, I want to get back to Lance Lynn. Uh, how did he how did he become the uh, linchpin that he is uh, suddenly? 
Well, he he's an innings eater of sorts, you know, not in the traditional sense, but I guess in this 21st century sense. You know, entering this year, the Cardinals had two pitchers who had thrown over 200 innings in a season on the team, and that was Adam Wainwright and Lance Lynn. So we had seen uh, this pitcher who can throw innings. Uh, the ERA was not where you would like it to be. He was allowing uh, more runs than you would like to see, and he was allowing more runs than his strikeouts, walks, hit uh, batsmen, and home runs would indicate he should be allowing. And the other uh, factor that was plaguing Lynn was a large, very large uh, platoon split. You know, just as an example, last year, left-handed batters hit for a 252 batting average. They posted a 361 on base percentage, hit for a 404 slugging percentage, and posted a 340 weighted on base average against Lynn, whereas right-handers hit for a 242 average, only managed a 299 on base percentage, only slugged 353 and only managed a 291 weighted on base average. So to, to simplify things, Lynn was death to left-handers, and left-handers were death to Lynn. <laughs> um, and this year, that's ace. Uh, left-handers have a 234 batting average against him. Right-handers have a 237 batting average. Lefties are still getting on base at a higher clip. They're drawing more walks. It's 322 to 295 for right-handers. But their slugging is virtually identical, and that's the big difference. Lefties are slugging 343. Righties are slugging 339 against Lynn. And so that weighted on base average gap, which is fueled primarily by the on-base percentage gap, is 302 for left-handers and 283 for right-handers. Both of those are low, and so Lynn this year has been able to neutralize the opposition's left-handed batters in a way that he hasn't been able to do so before. And he's doing that uh, primarily with his sinker. Yeah, that, that's right. I, I pulled him up on, on Brooks Baseball here last year. This is just a lefties. Uh, he threw the sinker uh, 25% of the time. Uh, this year... Um, you know, he's throwing the curve a little less, the change a little less, the four seam a little less. He's throwing the sinker 32% of the time. So it's a pretty big uh, gap. And then uh, not just is he throwing it more, but uh, he's throwing it a lot more effectively. Um, this is a pretty remarkable number. Last year, uh, the ISO on that sinker uh, by lefties was 0.179, which is not great. This year it's 0 0.061. He's, uh, he's, it's, it's the ISO against on his sinker to lefties is a third of what it was last year. And it's just a remarkable number. Um, I think it'd be very interesting to uh, hear what he has to say about that difference because it's huge. And I think it's, it's probably one of the key things that has caused uh, his caused him to go from a good innings eater uh, to a near elite pitcher, which is, which is what he is now. And, you know, that success deploying the sinker to neutralize left-handers' power hitting uh, reminds me of the old Democratic days of Dave Duncan as pitching coach and him trying to convince, I believe it was Brad Penny, 
to throw more sinkers. And what they did is they kept a tally on how many extra base hits were hit during spring training in the air versus on the ground. Um, and so I, I think it's wise of Lynn to start attacking lefties more with that sinker um, and trying to get them to beat the ball into the ground. Uh, and that is neutralizing some of that power hitting. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if he can continue to deploy that pitch effectively against left-handers uh, going forward. That's right. It's a, it'll be a key for the for the Cardinals for for the next uh, you know, several. How, how long until he? How much uh, control? Well, he he's arbitration. He's arbitration eligible after this year. So they have at least three years. And a, a discussion for a different day is whether or not the Cardinals maybe want to sign Lance Lynn to an extension and buy out a couple free agent years. I mean. Right now, he's looking like a linchpin of the rotation moving forward. I mean, there's a lot more question marks over the next three to five years than there are answers. And as we sit here today, Lance Lynn kind of looks like an answer going forward. I mean, Michael Waka is a question mark with his shoulder health. Shelby Miller is a question mark. He has pitched very poorly this year. Jaime Garcia, I'd be surprised if he ever pitches for the Cardinals again. Uh, Carlos Martinez uh, has never really thrown a starter's load of innings in a season. And John Lackey's under contract just for next year and getting a little long in the tooth. So Lynn on a four, five, or six-year extension, depending on the option years, is starting to look more and more palatable for the Cardinals, at least in my eyes. And I wonder what the front office is thinking. I mean, you're looking at a guy who is clearly – uh, bought into the team's recommendations in terms of diet. He's lost a lot of weight in an effort to become a better pitcher. He's built up his workload. He's grown as a pitcher. I mean, these are all things that you like to see. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how the front office approaches Lance Lynn uh, once the games are over for the 2014 season and postseason, hopefully. Yeah, more and more, I think the word for Lance Lynn is necessary. Yeah, that, that's a great way of summing it up, Aaron. I, I think he's becoming a pitcher the Cardinals need. He's no longer uh, a nice pitcher to have. Right. He's necessary. I think that's a very good way of putting it. Um, and I think with that bold declaration, uh, we're going to wrap up the premiere episode of the Viva Alberto's podcast. This is Ben Humphrey. I am the site manager at VivaAlbertos.com, a St. Louis Cardinals baseball community where we uh, write about and discuss Cardinals baseball 365 days a year. Uh, even on holidays, we do that. And uh, uh, for Aaron Finkel, uh, an editor on the site and our moderator-in-chief, uh, this is Ben Humphrey signing off. Thanks for listening.